Hello and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies we've never seen yet. My name is Trent. I'm here with my wife, Betsy. That's me. It's our 200th movie, Betsy. What? Pay no attention to the number at the beginning of the episode title. We've had specials, but we're going by the movie. The movies. We've counted them. We've verified them. This is the 200th movie. A very special episode. And if you've been with us all along, you know that every 100 movies, we got to do something kind of special. Last time we did The Sixth Sense because, for some reason, I hadn't seen it yet. I found the one schmuck in the universe who hadn't watched <laughs> that was The me. Sixth Sense. <laughs> and today we're going to do a similar thing, not quite as groundbreaking, but Betsy has never seen the movie Scarface. This is, this is true. I have, though. The, uh, the one with Al Pacino. <laughs> There's been probably, what, like three or four other movies called Scarface? There's at least one from the 1930s, but I don't know if it has anything to do with what we're going I to see. I highly doubt it because this takes place well after the 1930s. So I'll go with me first. I've only ever seen this all the way through once. And it was back when... <sighs> Scarface is a movie that was very popular with men in their 20s. College in, bros. In about 2005, let's say. It got really, really popular for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, it's, it strikes me on the surface as the kind of movie that young men would enjoy. Yeah, it's... It's also one of these movies that people got, like, posters of. Like, the posters from, from the movie and the movie poster itself. Along the, the, the same time when everybody was putting, like, posters of Pulp Fiction characters on their and wall. Fight Club yeah, and stuff like that. Like, the, the young men of America really started to find their masculinity through movies. I guess. I guess. Like, people my age at the time. I don't know. But I watched it and... I don't think I got it all that much because I was a little, I don't know, I wasn't young, but I was also watching it and kind of bored because this is another long movie. Yeah, this is another two hour, 50 minute yeah. thing we're about to jump into. And it is a big journey, I'll tell you that much. Like, there's a long intro, a long in between, and a long outro. Each act is an hour <laughs> yes, long. <laughs> pretty much. So... That all being said about me, what do you know about Scarface? Well, Trent, my knowledge of Scarface would best be expressed by the Lonely Island. This is a tale of Tony Montana. <laughs> Cubano flame with Miami and guns. He's got a base head wife whose womb is polluted. This whole town's a pussy just waiting to get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, that exp explains more than I think I actually know about this movie. I know he is a drug dealer. I'm assuming he's playing a Cuban given that lyric and the fact that I've heard him say, you know, uh, the line, okay, I'm reloaded. Uh -huh. Like he's doing this weird Hispanic accent. Yeah, it's very pronounced here. Uh-huh. And then I 1983, you can maybe get away with a very Italian man playing a Cuban. Yeah, so you've got him and Michelle Pfeiffer, I yes. think is his wife. And there's just mountains of cocaine. Lots and lots of cocaine. Yes, and this came out in 1983. I 40 don't, years, Trent. This is celebrating its 40-year anniversary this year. And I, I don't remember when this was uh, taking place. I don't feel like it w was contemporary. I feel like it's one of two things. This is either just the little footage I've seen of it 
in the 70s or it's that thing where it actually takes place in like the 1940s but it's so modern that it doesn't they don't bother modernizing it yeah they don't actually do historically (laughs) accurate like hair and makeup which is kind of a common thing in like the 70s and 80s it really wasn't until we got more recently that i feel like people put the care consistently into that sort of thing. Unless sure. it's just a choice. Like Babylon just came out, another uh-huh. three hour movie, and Margot Robbie does not look like one would look in the nineteen twenties. Yeah. But just look at the wardrobe. And we haven't a, seen it's that, a the creative movie. choice. Yeah, we haven't seen that movie yet, but yeah. I so don't know. this movie could be one of those two things. Either it takes place in the seventies and it was filmed in the eighties, or it just looks like it's the seventies because it's the early eighties, which is still basically the seventies. Yeah, and we should mention this was directed by Brian De Palma. And I've seen a couple of his movies. Yes. One of them I absolutely love. Which it is, is a terrible movie. Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. You know, I love that movie. I don't know if it's a terrible movie. I don't think it's a great movie. It is. Ex- he's doing some experimentation in that movie for sure. It's a lot sure. of single shot, like long tracking shots. Yeah, it's long shots. It is shooting the same things from different angles and replaying them to you from these different perspectives, really. It's at least interesting. Yes. And I've seen that movie, I don't know, probably a dozen times over the course of my life. Yeah, and I've seen that one many times. I can't remember any of his other ones offhand, but... I, I get the sense that these are the kinds of movies he makes, like violence, blood, sex, bro stuff. And I don't think you know this, but do, do you know who wrote it? Who wrote this movie? Yeah. No idea. Oliver Stone wrote this movie. Okay, that I guess makes sense because, again, I don't know if he had made a lot of movies as a director at this point in his career. The Not 80s yet. were sort of the time he started doing that. Yes. So I think we're going to get maybe a little bit of his style. Interesting. Yeah, I basically know next to nothing about this movie. You know the cultural like touchstones that have just infected the the, the, the American psyche of like, the, the say hello to my little friend. That thing, like, yes. That's basically the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And like, you know what the arc of the story is you just don't know the entire thing i have no idea i'm assuming it's a the rise and fall of a drug lord there you go (laughs) all right well we're gonna go and watch the 1983 classic scarface we'll be right back back. Betsy, what did you think of Al Pacino's classic portrayal of Tony Montana? So this movie's insane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, they bring Al Pacino out and they told him, so you're going to be at about a nine to start and Mm -hmm. just a, a good simmer throughout, but then eventually take it to about a 15 at different points of this movie. And 
everybody else is sort of matching that energy where it feels like everybody in this movie knew what movie they were making Mm -hmm. and they're along for the ride. They know what Al Pacino is capable of and they have to match him step for step. Yes. So did I like this? I have no idea because (laughs) I found myself kind of amazed and smiling. You're just kind of reeling. You're reeling from the the experience of this thing. Yes. I just was along for the ride and there were some really insane things that happen that are just like what the fuck am I watching but also I kind of loved it but also it was like is this actually good or is this just exploitative chaos <laughs> I mean it's chaos for sure and I'll tell you this I don't really remember like I've only seen this movie once and I don't really remember a lot about it I did not remember a lot about it while I was watching like the things that I remember are the things that you've seen in clips like the different shots of Tony Montana on screen looking like completely disheveled and like the one shot of him in Frank's office with the big mural behind him uh, in with his arm in a sling and him holding a gun. Mm-hmm. That's a famous shot. Uh, him at the end of the movie in his office with the mountain of cocaine. Sul- like slunk down yeah, in his chair. Sulking down in his chair, yeah. There's so many iconic things that came out of this movie, and those are the ones that I remember because I already knew them. But not the actual content of the movie itself. No, and I knew it was going to be like a, a rags to riches kind of a thing, but in a very different kind of a way. It is not a wholesome rags to riches story. I'll tell you that. This is almost more akin to like a fucking soap opera at times because it's so dramatic and the reactions and the music cues are just all over the place. So like it reminded me of watching Kill Bill where there's those mm-hmm. moments where you hear that right the music cues yeah. especially when Pacino is about to go crazy yeah. especially when it has to do with his sister. Yeah. Every time there's something to do with his sister there's the same music cue where he's just kind of going nutso. He becomes very protective and he goes a little nuts but it's not just with her it happens more and more frequently as we get through the movie but yeah the first time it happens it's really jarring because he is reunited with his mother and his sister after five years apart Mm -hmm. and she's just like oh my god it's my big brother and i'm so happy to see you and And they have this lovely music yeah he's putting on a a a facade here because he wants to come back and be the big brother and have it be i'm a big success and i'm gonna take care of you from now on you don't have to worry about all this other stuff not really realizing the life that he is leading is not gonna be good for these two no but the music that's playing in the background is this like wholesome yeah the family is back together it's a big reunion big reunion kind of soft music and the second that manolo says your sister is beautiful it changes on a dime and he's like yeah. don't look at my fucking and like, sister and like the camera like zooms in on tony yeah so there's a lot of really dramatic music cues uh camera shots mm-hmm. and just real dramatic shifts that it's jarring to watch, mm-hmm. but it's also exhilarating to watch. I mean, it's an emotional thing. It's an emotional reaction that he's having. Well, and not just there, but throughout the movie as yeah. he starts. He never has much of an arc. He starts as a bad <laughs> guy and continues to just get worse. <laughs> I mean, he uses the the skills that he has in order to get ahead. Like he said it from the beginning. He wants everything. He wants it all. 
how he gets there, who knows? I'm just going to go with it, is the, is the kind of attitude he has. Right, and it starts with him coming in from Cuba, and we get like a history lesson where it's like, yeah. okay, Fidel Castro allowed this many people from Cuba to yeah. leave. But 100,000 people in 1980 left Cuba to go to Miami. And most of them, or several of them certainly, were criminals. Yeah, a good known percentage criminals. were people who were let go out of prisons or they were like convicted felons, let's say, and allowed to leave the country to go to Miami to get them out of there because Castro didn't want anybody in the country that wasn't all the way in on their way of living. Their communism. What they were doing there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and of course the whole movie, or at least the first part of the movie, when, when, uh, Tony is on the rise. He keeps saying, I'm a political refugee. Right. I'm a political refugee. It's like, right. oh, bullshit. <laughs> you are not being persecuted in any way, shape, or form. You just wanted to get out of there so that you can you know, have opportunities elsewhere. And you know, that's a very admirable thing to do. You know, to get out of a very bad political situation, come to America and make a life for yourself. Live the but, American dream. But not like this. Like your mother and your sister are doing it. She is working in a factory, and the sister is getting her beauty license. And she wants to open up her own shop, and, like, that's the way you should be doing it. Not what do you mean? Getting Not- in with fucking mob people and, like, crooked car salesmen. Literally to get his foot in the door, that's how it begins, where yeah. Manny knows a guy up in Miami who says there's going to be this guy coming in from Cuba yeah. who was close to Castro and this guy wants him taken care of we don't really understand why I don't know how that equals them getting a green card but no okay they basically are gonna pull some strings for them to get out of this camp that they're in they just have this weird Cuban refugee freedom, camp. Freedom camp or freedom town or whatever the fuck it's called. And they, I, the implication is here that they started the riot because yes. they say there's riots happening on this day at this mm-hmm. camp and they use the chaos to murder this guy. Yeah, to create enough chaos to cause a distraction so that this guy can just be knifed without anybody noticing. Yeah, so this is like the first 10 minutes of the movie and then he's working as a dishwasher mm-hmm. but they're still working with their connection, who is Omar, played by F. Murray Abraham, and I'm going to have a lot to say about the casting of this movie when we, when I feel like <laughs> I, I'm up to it. Uh, uh-huh. But he's just like, okay, you're going to go get some weed? He says marijuana, I think. But I didn't even get that. I, he wants them to pick something up, and it's this low-level job, and they're like, oh, we'll give you 500 bucks. 500 bucks to do this little thing. So that, instead, yeah. you know, Tony being Tony is just like, fuck you, I'm not doing shit. Yeah, I want the money. Constantly trying to one-up. Like, Waving his dick around. <laughs> like, just, I'm not doing your, your, yeah. your bullshit assignment. Give me a real job. Yeah. And so he says, okay, fine go at the end of the week and you can get this coke from the colombians right this very high risk thing that he doesn't really think too much of well he also says he doesn't like colombians for some reason because apparently he's also you know a racist sure i don't i have no idea he's got a problem specifically with colombians and we don't express why no it doesn't matter but it's a much higher risk thing you're gonna get paid five grand and of course his his little ears perk up uh but yeah him and manny and he has to get a couple of other goons to go along with him because they have to be the lookout they go on this job they go inside this uh this hotel or motel kind of a thing and the guy's in there says 
where's the money? It's close. Where's the drugs? They're close. And there's this this standoff happening with this TV in the, on in the background and this woman on the bed. And it just devolves very quickly. Like, I looked away for like half a second. All of a sudden, there's three other guys in there and he's pulling out a goddamn chainsaw. <laughs> and stringing people up in the in the uh, the bathtub, sawing off limbs, and sawing off limbs. And we never see any of that. Thank God, that would have gone maybe too far. But it was enough. There's a lot of blood splatter and screaming yeah. and noise and chaos. And I'll <laughs> say this: like the violence in this movie is very realistic. Like they don't show a lot of it, no. but the way people like fall and bleed and just are disheveled when they fall on the ground. Like, at the end of the movie, Manny is, like, weirdly, like, twisted when he falls. That's yeah. how people, I'm sure, fall dead when they get shot. I don't know. But, yeah, they, they have this scene where the Colombians basically are fucking them over. Yeah. And they are just trying to rob them. And it turns into torturing them mm -hmm. but manny and the other the backup come in and save the day but you know what in this scene tony is totally cool again it's like a fucking i my dick is bigger than yours and uh -huh. he does not give a shit about these guys sociopathic mentality this Absolutely. man has <laughs> he is just like fuck you fuck you fuck all of you <laughs> yeah i mean if you're gonna kill me just kill me don't you, waste you, my fucking you time. You got me dead to rights. Just fucking kill me if you're going to do it. <laughs> and yeah, again, this is like 20 minutes into the movie and it just yeah. keeps going up from there. And so does he because he decides, okay, you're going to go on this job. You get this stuff. And then he says, fuck you to what's his name in the car who Omar. gives him the job, Omar. He says, fuck you. No, I'm going to give it to your boss. Who's the guy that hired us? Yeah. So that we are introduced to Frank. Robert Loja. <laughs> if you don't know that joke, uh, you obviously don't watch Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, Robert Loja is one of those kind of character actors from you the 80s and 90s. You absolutely know him from something. You've seen him Independence in Independence Day. Independence Day. He's one of the generals who was just barking. What, what does he say? Oh, yeah, at the very end, once they figure out how to uh, uh, take down the UFOs, they say. Get on the horn around the world and tell them how to bring these sons of bitches down. <laughs> so, yeah. He's just got a great voice. He does. And he hires this guy on the spot because he likes his chutzpah. <laughs> yeah. I need guys like you with balls of steel or whatever the fuck he said. And when he t he asks Omar about him, of course, Omar is like, he's a peasant. He's an idiot. Yeah. Like, you don't want this guy. He's like, yeah, but that guy's going to like break his he's back He's going to be you. loyal to you until the day he dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> just, he immediately gets a job and it's all very quick. Like he gets hired yeah. by this top guy. He's flying around the world to Bolivia and cutting deals with this dude down there. Yeah. Sosa is their connection for their the supplier. Yeah. The supplier. It's, yeah. They're the supplier. He goes down there as the muscle, but he ends up just deciding, you know what? No, I'm going to renegotiate this deal because I want this outfit to make more money. I'm the brains now, not yeah. the muscle. I I'm just I'm just deciding on my own to do this and Omar has a big problem with it to say no 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 you cannot do this I'm only authorized to buy this much and this is how much it's going to be but meanwhile, Omar is apparently a police informant, so yeah. they kill him by throwing him out a helicopter. Hanging him by the neck out of a helicopter. I don't think I've seen that ever done in 
any other media since no. or before. No, and they just kind of fly away with him hanging mm-hmm. below. It's really messed up. Well, and that's the thing about a lot of these like drug, you know, drug states like Colombia and these these other places. Like they are very well protected by their government because, like the guy says later on in the movie, who's going on the all these news shows. The governments of these countries are protecting them because it's flowing money into their country. If the drug trade wasn't a thing, they wouldn't have no money. It's the number one export for their yeah. country. It's about the only export for their country, other than Colombian coffee. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Though you get to do uh, double dipping because don't most drugs come packed in coffee to like throw drug dogs off? Oh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's a it's, thing. It's one thing to do, yes. <laughs> It's certainly a method. So you can do double the export by putting out mm-hmm. both of your products. <laughs> yeah, and it just keeps like going up from there where Tony clearly is this self-made man. He doesn't really want to be the peon for this guy. And he quickly becomes a problem for Frank after that. And he yeah. stops working from him. But there's these moments in this movie where... They aren't super clear about what exactly you're watching, where there's these, like, character turns where they didn't really explain it, so you're just watching it happen. So, he's not working for Frank anymore, but there's kind of a scene where he he yells at Tony, mm-hmm. but Tony doesn't explicitly quit, and he doesn't fire Tony. Mm-hmm. There's just the next scene where he's talking to Michelle Pfeiffer's character, and she's like, I hear you're not working for Frank anymore. Yeah. Like, oh, what? Okay, Sure. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe, like, Tony was going around and saying, you know, fuck this guy, I'm not going to work for this guy anymore, Mm -hmm. and they interpreted that in that way, that Tony is just not going to work for Frank anymore. But there's more of that, too. Like, the Gina, his sister, Mm -hmm. when we first meet her, she's this, like, sweet, innocent girl, and the next time we see her, she's at the club where he hangs out, Mm -hmm. in a low-cut dress, dancing with some guy who's got his hands all over her ass, and then they have this confrontation in the bathroom where she's just like, I'm not a little girl anymore, and he slaps her, and it's like, what is this turn? Like, this is not the same person we met one scene ago like i didn't understand why we were getting this dramatic change in her character it just seemed really unwarranted for where we introduced her and the next time we see her yeah i yeah you got a point there but you know what we there is only one scene with her but prior to that and she's at home with her mom so he doesn't know what kind of life that she she runs and she was just given $1,000 by him recently. But and then it just keeps, I don't know. It keeps going up from there because then she's like flirting with Manny. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, the two of them run off together and get married. Yeah. And, she, you know, when he finds out, he does not take kindly to that, uh, that incident. Yeah, he does regret it, though. He does. But... Then she shows up and they say, oh, well, we gave her some pills to calm her down. Sure. She's clearly not calm because she comes into his office with her tits out and a gun in her hand. And she's just like, well, clearly you don't want me to be with any other man. So you must want me. Why don't you fuck me, Tony? And starts shooting a gun at him. Like this arc she goes on in about five scenes in Mm -hmm. the entire movie is ridiculous. Yeah, I think the sister part is the weirdest thing about the whole movie. But then again, you have to have something to trigger him shooting Manny. 
I don't know how else you get him to that point other than he, he thinks that, you know, he's trying to screw him over and he's just paranoid. Like, we get scenes of Tony becoming a lot more paranoid. After we he's introduced in his office, he has all these monitors behind him. And he says, that cable truck has been there for like three days. It doesn't take three days to install cable. I think that they're cops. Yeah, some security guard you are. Like, you're yeah. supposed to be head of my security. Right. Go check it out. Did you sweep today? Did you do the sweep? Right. But he's also a man of morals, which makes <laughs> makes him a very strange character. So, like, later on in the movie... The guy in Bolivia calls him down to Bolivia and says, we've got a problem. And you have a problem. And you have a problem. It's this guy on the TV who's going around giving mm. speeches around the world about the problem with drugs and yeah. importing to America. And he's naming names. And yeah, he's naming names. He's talking about people in actual governments. Mm -hmm. And this is really when people started becoming like really aware of the cocaine drug trade and where it's coming from. Like, from Colombia, Bolivia, everywhere else in, in South and Central America, it started to become a big problem in America because it was just flooding in. It was cheap. It was easy to get around, apparently. The war on drugs. The, the 1980s. 80, the 80s is known for a lot of things, and cocaine is one of them. Definitely. So they they bring him down there and say, we've got this guy He's a problem. Yeah. We need to get him taken care of. So we have this dude here. He doesn't speak any English and he doesn't know his way around the United States. So you're going to take him up there mm -hmm. and he's going to fix this problem for us. All you have to do is like drive him there, yeah. show him around, show him where, where everything is. And we're going to help you he'll, out. He'll, he'll take care of the rest. So they rig up this guy's car with a plastic explosive, a remote explosive, and they want to make a show of it. They don't want to just kill him because no. they could have killed him a lot easier. But apparently this guy is scheduled to have a speech at the UN. About this topic. About this topic. And they wanted to blow up his car as he is approaching the UN building. Which would have been great, except that his wife and kids get in the car. And Tony immediately says, fuck that. I ain't, nope. I ain't fucking he, with no wife just, and kids. He's just kind of talking to himself because the other guy doesn't understand English. Yeah, he's like, this is some bullshit. Who does that? What kind of person kills this a wife bad. and kids? Yeah, this is bad. This is really bad. I can see the kids in the car. They're just two kids yeah. playing in the car. Yep. Fuck you. And he shoots the guy because his moral code says, I ain't fucking with no wife and kids. And that's what condemns him. You know, he doesn't want to go all the way bad. And he gives like a speech to Michelle Pfeiffer about, do you like kids? Do you want kids? I uh -huh. want kids and I want you to, I want to have kids with you. Right. So it's, you never see him with children apart from that one scene. Yeah. And the scene, I guess when they're at the pool, there's like a, a time he's yeah. at the beach with yeah, Manny yeah. and he's talking to some kids, but they don't really establish really well his feelings about women and children. Until then, yeah. Until then. And then when they do, it's just like, again, out of left field and he takes it to a 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's weird. These just intense swings that happen throughout the movie. And I'm like confused by them, but also utterly enamored by the whole thing. Like we've watched a lot of movies as we are concurrently doing our Oscar series that mm -hmm. clock in two and a half plus hours. Mm -hmm. And we have said for most of them, they feel the runtime at certain times. 
there's not a moment in this movie that I was like, shit, this movie feels like three hours no, long. The, no moment is wasted here. Like, And you said it in the beginning. This is almost three hours long. Every section, there's three parts of this movie. They're almost all exactly an hour. Yeah, but they don't feel it. No, they really don't. It cooks. This movie keeps moving, even though at times there's not a lot happening. Yeah. Which is really a credit to Brian De Palma and his filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And I guess to Oliver Stone and his screenplay, even though most of it is just saying the word fuck a lot. Because <laughs> it really does. It just moves right along. I understood who everybody was, what was going on why everything was going so badly at certain moments. Yeah, and like the first time I watched this movie, I felt bored because I wasn't really paying attention, I think. Like I wasn't trying to figure out, okay, this is this part of the movie there where he's the uh, the young up-and-comer, he's really hungry. The second part is where he's in with the right guy and he's getting things done. But then at the end of that section, he says, you know what, you fucked me over, I'm going to fuck you back and I'm going to take over. And the rest of the movie is just him at the very, very top, and there's nowhere else for him to go yeah, he gets, except down. He gets bored being at the top. He's like, is yeah. this it? Is this uh -huh. fucking it? Yeah, he's at this really stuffy restaurant with a bunch of rich white people, and he says, you know what? Is this the pinnacle? Are we just going to be sitting here with a big belly and drinking and eating and taking drugs? And fucking and sucking and snorting. Right. <laughs> All of this stuff, like, this is it? I thought this was going to feel different. Yeah, I thought this would be fun. I thought we'd, like, have a family, but you're so coked up out of your mind, and mm -hmm. we can't have kids, your womb is polluted. And it's just excessive and ridiculous and over the top, and she throws a drink in his face, and then yeah. he gives this big speech to all the stuffy white people. Which, I like this speech, because he's throwing it right in their face. All you motherfuckers that have all this money, you guys are the real bad guys, but you have to... Point a finger at me, the other rich guy who is doing it in the way that you don't want, want it done. You need a bad guy. You need a bad guy to point your finger at when all of you people got your money in a very illicit way called capitalism. Because, Betsy, what did he say about capitalism? I think he said, that's what capitalism is. Get fucked. <laughs> you know what capitalism is? Getting fucked. That's yep. what he said. <laughs> uh-huh. And yeah, he just goes off about, you know, I'm the bad guy. A bad guy's leaving. Everybody look at me. Look that's at right. me. That's I'm the right. bad guy. You're never going to see this kind of bad guy in here again. Yeah, so it's just like, what are we saying here? Because we've already watched one movie about capitalism from Oliver Stone. Mm -hmm. So I guess, is it another version, an earlier version of greed isn't so good? Oliver Stone has got some opinions. Well, especially in the 80s. Well, even now. Like, Oliver Stone has kind of gone off the deep end. We've talked about that before. But again, this is pre-Wall Street by a few years. It is pre-Wall Street, yes. And I think he does have opinions about capitalism and how, you know, greed corrupts and greed is, is this and that. I think he is a not quite a closet communist. Like, he has interviewed Castro in the past. Really? In the recent past, yes. Before he died, he interviewed Castro. And I think he's a fan. Okay, then. There's And you missed it. You, you, you walked away before the end of the credits. There is a little blurb right before the end of the movie where it says, you know, 
were depicting, you know, people of Cuban descent and blah, blah, blah. And they're all criminals in this movie. But the vast, vast majority of Cuban American immigrants are salt of the earth. Just the best people. They're contributing to society and they're, they're just the greatest people. I'm summarizing, but that's that was his message. Well, right, because that's it's all true. true. That's all true. It is true, but it's interesting to say that on one hand, but then to actually have a positive opinion about the man who created all of that in Cuba. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's just a weird, a weird correlation. Ask a Cuban immigrant what they think about socialism and communism. <laughs> They're going to give you a very negative opinion about the thing. Definitely. So it's just like the story arc of it's not greed corrupting because in this movie he wants to be successful he wants to make money he does it the dirtiest filthiest way he knows how and i think he knows exactly what's coming to him by the end of the movie so it's not like there's any righteous message he's a bad guy who does bad things and then at the end of the movie he fucks over the wrong person he fucks over all the wrong people at yeah. all the right times. Yeah. <laughs> and so he goes down in a blaze of glory and he's just like, fuck you, I'll take the bullets. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and then he gets a shotgun in the back. Yeah. So it's just this insane ride you go on for almost three hours where he dies in this hail of bullets and is falling face first into this reflecting pool against a big statue that says, the world is yours. I mean, it was. <laughs> for a brief yeah. moment, a brief glimmering, shining moment. And we have this crane shot inside this house of like this sea of bodies. Like there's like 20 or 30 people that descend on this house and he shoots and kills probably about 20 of them. With some real big guns. Like these uh-huh. doors explode. I When he says the line, say hello to my little friend, I was expecting machine gun fire. I wasn't expecting a fucking like grenade launcher to yeah. blow the fucking door apart. Because they don't show that that part no. in whatever clips that you've seen no, they just they don't. You, you just see him saying the line and shooting the thing you don't know what that is and though. then later you see him firing the machine gun you don't see yes. that moment in between right <laughs> so yeah there's just a lot of things that i liked about this movie like the soundtrack is ridiculous there's some gems in here this is beautiful over the top 80s like early 80s synth pop music yeah and it's ridiculous and i'm just like vibing out while they're <laughs> counting money at the beginning of the third act mm-hmm. <laughs> i loved that like i said there's those weird music cues where they kind of give you this is signaling that he's kind of crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so there's intention there uh the way the film is shot like there's at the club the babylon they have all these mirrors where you're kind of seeing him and then the guy he's talking to in a reflection. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of these framing shots throughout this movie where there's a reflection happening and so you get a full picture of what's happening behind you without actually turning the camera that way. So there's a lot of thought into how they filmed this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the framing of all those shots in the club was really good. Like... There's even some, like, funny moments. Let's just talk about the, 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 the moments in the club. After he has this meeting with this uh, narcotics agent who is 
meeting him there to basically blackmail him into paying him off. Yeah, I'm a dirty cop, so yeah. give me this my This is cut. how it works. This is the number that I'm showing you on this cocktail napkin. So, oh, that's a big number. And we don't see the number, <laughs> No, of we don't. And he's just kind of slunk down in his chair after this encounter saying, oh, what is this going to cost me? I know I have to do it. Tell me you're the last cop I'm going to have to grease. <laughs> is what he says there. And yeah, he's just slunk down and there's this entertainment going on with a comedian up there, Richard Belzer. Why is Richard Belzer what in this movie? What the fuck is Richard Belzer in this movie for? Uh, Pre-Law and Order. He didn't Pre have everything. that. I've never seen him prior to 1983. He's got long black hair, but he has the same fucking glasses. Like dark black hair. Yes. That is fucking jet black. He's a very young man in this movie, and yeah. it's very strange to see him as a comedian. <laughs> right, and these two hitman guys are in the front row, like... In their eyes, nonchalantly, like, bringing up their guns. I'm thinking these these guys are there to kill the next entertainer or kill Richard Belzer. I have no idea. No, they have machine guns very cleverly hidden beneath napkins. But not cleverly at all. Like, you could absolutely see that. Oh, God. <laughs> but yes, they're there to take out Tony. There's yeah. There's a little bit of a gap in information there where you kind of... The way it's filmed, you can discern that they're there to kill Tony. Right. But it takes but a little camera, while to get there. The camera is like trying to find Tony through all the mirrors because we're seeing him from a different angle. Mm -hmm. So you can see like reflections of Tony and then the actual man in the flesh at the very end. And when they bring on the other act, which I don't know what the fuck that other act was. It's like a weird mind character. Fat man guy. in a suit. In a paper a mache suit. head. Yeah, it's a paper. Yeah, I don't understand what the hell that and was. And it started with a Frank Sinatra song yeah, and then Frank it was a Sinatra. weird pop song. Yeah, I did not understand that whatsoever. Like, why is that entertaining? But whatever. I, I've never been to Miami. I don't know what they like down there. It's Apparently a, cocaine. It's a nightclub act. There, There's... A variety that you It's a get variety in that show, scene. sure. That's what Tony Montana's into. <laughs> yeah. He does not seem entertained, though. He's just sulking there, smoking a cigar. He spends a lot of this movie just slunked down smoking. Yeah, he doesn't, like, sit up at all. No. Like, when he go, I, I noticed that in when he gets taken to Bolivia for the second time, where they're introducing them to the problem, he has slunk down on that couch, and everybody else is, like, very proper and... Yeah. It's a weird character choice. It is. It's a, I don't have to think about what it's that a represents. It's a power move. It is a, re a, um, a disrespectful kind of a move. I guess. It's also like the, the man spreading where his, like, his, his legs are like a, way wide. Way wide. And yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. <laughs> in the club, uh, he gets shot the hell up, but they miss. Well, he, yeah, they, they shoot him in the shoulder and he slunks all the way down and shoots the other guys in the leg, which is a smart thing to do. Yeah, get down on the ground. They're standing up. You're on the ground. What yeah. else do you do? Yeah. But they can't take him out, so instead he takes out Frank. And they had this speech earlier in the movie where he's talking about how Frank is weak. Frank isn't the strong man you think he is, talking sure. to Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Right. Like, eventually you're going to want a real man, and that's me. And so just think about it, okay? And of course we see that when it comes down to it. Frank literally starts begging for his life. He is on his sure. hands and knees right. saying, I'll never do it again and I'll go away forever and you can have it all. When Just in, don't kill me. When in all of the, these other scenes with Tony, he is 
calm, cool, and collected. He knows what he's doing, and he can solve whatever problem that is presented to him. But he says, don't kill me, don't kill me. And Tony's like, I'm not going to kill you. And he has Manny kill him Yeah, instead. Manny, shoot this guy. <laughs> and then they shoot the cop because he's there too. And Which then- he even said, I don't even know if you're a cop or not. You nope. haven't shown me a badge. Nope. And then Manny says, well, what about Ernie? And the music <laughs> completely cuts out. Like yeah. it was really dramatic in his crazy music cue. Right. And then it goes to silence and he's like, Ernie, you want a job? Hey, Ernie, <laughs> you're loyal. You want a job? You want to work for me? Yeah, Tony. I'll take a job from you. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> hey, hey, you got a job. Good for you. So, yeah, I would say if I was getting any vibes from this movie in particular, it's the inspiration I feel like this had on Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like, just think about that crane shot in his house at the very end. Yeah. That is totally... Oh, my God. You're right. It is 100% Inglorious Bastards. Coming down the stairs yep. and seeing the carnage. All of that. Yeah. There's a lot of that. The crazy music cues. Yep. The, the weird... Cr- the crazy, like, crash zooms. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I would say if anybody saw this movie... And, was and like, fell in Hell love. Hell yeah! It was Quentin <laughs> well, Tarantino. Even like the violence and the the, the cussing and the 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 dialogue, everything is kind of like Tarantino. Yeah, not to say he doesn't draw from a lot of places. That oh, dude sure. has seen like tens of thousands of movies in oh, his yeah. lifetime. Oh yeah, he takes from everybody. But this one feels very prescient to what he was making less than ten years later. Definitely. So, of course, the elephant in the room that we haven't talked about yet, but it would be remiss of us to not say it. This movie would never, and I'm talking never, be cast this way in the modern era we are in. You have got (laughs) an Italian guy playing a Cuban. I think most of his crew were white guys in brown face. You've got F. Murray Abraham, who's an English guy. You've got Robert Loja playing a Jewish dude, which I don't know that he is Jewish, but he's also doing a weird accent that doesn't sound like he's an American. There's a lot going on here. And like the only woman that I was like, okay, she's definitely Hispanic was his mom. Yep. His sister was a white woman. Now, I know they give, like, one line of dialogue where he says his dad was an American. Yeah. And that tries to, like, make it okay. He also was lying to those immigration cops by saying, oh, yeah, I got no family here. My, my dad's dead. My mom's dead. I got no family. He was. But when you look at his family, his sister's really white. And he's not, uh, like, it, it, I don't know. She's got the, I mean, the, the hair is not something that a white woman's going to have. Okay, that is, in the 80s they did. That's uh, called a perm trend. That uh, is that is what they not did. Not anything I've ever seen. Oh, I have, yeah. No, women went cray with the, with the perms in the 1980s. Anyway. <laughs> but yes, so you've got all of these people who are definitely not Hispanic playing Hispanic characters. And I... I will give you this was, again, a different time, and it was okay. 83. And it is a great role. Like, Al Pacino is committed to what he is doing, and he's absolutely bonkers in it in, like, the most perfect way. But, yeah, no way on God's green earth in 2020, 2023, that 
Al Pacino or anyone of his ilk would get to play this part. <laughs> no, they would give that to Pedro Pascal. With Ooh. everything else going on. Ooh, I would love to see Pedro Pascal in a modern remake, remake. of Scarface. Let's do it! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was not Narcos. I never yeah. watched that show. But I hear it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I just I just needed to say I needed to say that the, there's some weird casting choices what in did this you th- movie. What did you think of Michelle Pfeiffer? We haven't talked about her yet, and I don't really have a whole lot of like history uh, with seeing any of her movies or TV that she's done or anything like that. So this is one of her earliest movies. Like oh, yeah. it's not her earliest acting gig. I was looking at this because I was like, this has got to be really early in her career because she's 25 here. And like I was kind of thinking, this is a, a similar trajectory that Sharon Stone would have had oh, after yeah. Basic Instinct. I think where so. she's just like this sex pot on the side who everybody is interested in, and she's just she couldn't care less about you. Yeah, she's good in this. She doesn't have a lot to do. No, she's she's just kind of there to be in a skimpy dress and snort cocaine. Pretty much. (laughs) Like, they don't have any sex scenes in this entire movie, which I found very surprising. Uh, 83, 83. It's, I I don't think they were doing a whole lot of that stuff that far back. I just mean anything remotely resembling it. There's like a woman who's naked who's hooked up with Manny. Yeah, the the Manny had a scene with the naked lady and that was it. But it's post that. And like... Elvira, which is her character name, sure. Michelle Pfeiffer's character, she's just sort of arm candy, and she's bored, and she doesn't want to be with Frank, and she doesn't want to be with Tony either. No, because, I mean, I think after this incident, she's just going to move on to the next guy. Yeah, She's just sort of in it for the cocaine. <laughs> uh-huh. And we don't know what happens to her. She basically, after no. the big scene in the restaurant, says, I'm leaving you. And we don't see her the rest of the movie. Which I'm totally convinced that, yeah, she was leaving him and going to find somebody else to be her hookup. And it's the same day. So, you know, he leaves yeah, the is. restaurant and then the shootout is that That's night. That's a hell of a day. It's a big day. Big day for him. Big day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, she's she's good in it. She doesn't do very much. Yeah. But she's she, not asked to do a lot. No, but she looks great. You know, she's wearing these like halter dresses and she's got this great haircut and she's 25 and just owning every scene she's in. You know what this reminded me of? Like the 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 dresses and just the wardrobes in general of uh, American Hustle. Same era, Same 1970s era. into 80s. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s, where like the deep, deep cut dress Halston is, was is very the only in. thing that Amy Adams wore in that movie. Mm-hmm. The deep V was a very 1970s style. And like, yeah, the, the, the deep V of even the man's shirts. Oh, yes. They just take take off the top three buttons. Just don't even, <laughs> we're not going to use them. Yeah, we're so not even going to have them on the shirt. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and like the, the big uh, collars and lapels and everything else just being everywhere. It's the like big pointy th- collars. It's just, I hated that. It's very of the time. But this yeah. again, this is. 1983 is when this movie was made. The bulk of the movie takes place in like 80, 81. Right. Which I kind of forgot that it was that soon prior to 83 when it came out. Sure. And that's still, like I said in the intro, where 
the early 80s are still basically the late 70s. Yeah, like disco was like at its peak in late 70s, early 80s. And they go to a club and everybody's dancing. It's a disco. They even call it a disco. Yeah. So the style is very fitting for the time we are in. And I thought everybody looked good. I thought everything looked appropriate for where and when we were. Sure, because it wasn't that far removed. Right. It did bother me the number of men who run around in full suits in Miami. It's hot in Miami. Well, Bolivia too. Like (laughs) all of that shit. Take off your jacket at least. You've already (laughs) got your shirt down to your belly button exposed. Like just roll up your sleeves. Even like when they're on the beach checking out chicks, they are like in full ass suits it's very stupid but they are eating ice cream (laughs) and offering it to random women that's a great pickup line you want to go get some ice cream (laughs) she looks like she likes ice cream (laughs) all right um i think that's about like the the extent of what we're going to talk about like story wise we're just going to talk about some other uh moments here and beats that we 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 missed uh i want to talk about the first time where Tony and Robert Lozier are going to go to the club and these two guys are just drunk and like in the booth talking with each other, hanging off each other. And Robert Lozier says, I'm going to give you some advice. Number one, don't underestimate the other guy's greed, which is a really good line. It's a really good piece of advice for people in this business. And I have no idea if it's just from this movie or if it was just in the lexicon before, Don't get high on your own supply. That feels like the kind of thing that was probably written for this movie, but it could have existed before that. It's very possible. But again, it's that line that has lived on. Like, I've heard that line in the past, what's three months? Okay. (laughs) I mean, just in my life. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, are those the only two rules he gave him? Yeah, that was the only two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he breaks both of those rules. Like he gives oh, yeah. him two pieces of advice and he follows neither of them. Yes. Well, also in that scene, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer wants to dance and Robert Loja won't dance with him. So she uh-huh. asks Tony to dance with him, to dance with her. Yeah. And it occurs to me, you know, I don't think I've seen Al Pacino dance very much. I don't think Al Pacino dances. He's he's a little bit awkward on that floor. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird experience watching him out there dancing at a disco. <laughs> Agreed. Uh... And then we we cut to, I, I guess the third act is what we're calling it, when when things are uh, high on, he's living high on the hog. He gets married. He has this joke before he, he takes Michelle Pfeiffer's character out to this Porsche dealership. And he's talking about, oh, yeah, um, I'm just going to get myself a tiger and put it in, in the passenger seat or something to that effect. After they get married, he buys a tiger. Well, first in that scene that you're talking about, he's driving this big convertible with all tiger print interior. It is the most insane looking vehicle. It's so stupid. It's a Cadillac convertible. And she's like, I'm not getting in that. I wouldn't be caught dead in that. So he takes her to the Porsche dealership just to show how much money. Yeah, I I wouldn't buy this unless you liked it. Yeah. And then he tries to make her laugh by putting her hat on, which is actually like the one funny scene in this movie where Al Pacino is wearing her her goofy white hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he says, the first time I saw you, I thought she's a tiger and I, and she's mine. And so, yeah, there's this like weird right. metaphor about taming a tiger. Something throughout like Throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> right. Uh, in, in the same act, he's like trying to go, not legit, but like put his money in a bank 
and like pay off these bankers to launder his money. Mm -hmm. And that was a real thing that was happening in real time in the 80s. Like banks were just taking this drug money and laundering it through their systems and taking cuts because it had never really been done before with drug money because there was so much of it coming in. Well, and keep in mind where we are. So Reagan got elected in 1980, and his presidency is when all of those deregulations and things started. Oh, yeah. So this is like a really interesting time in America where you've got the early 80s with the drugs and the banks and laundering, and then all the deregulations started happening. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the 80s, greed was good. Indeed. But yeah, he even says he has a meeting with the, the the dirty banker later. He says they're making between 10 and 15 million dollars a month. Which seems excessive. Like, I don't know how they're managing that other than the distribution networks. <laughs> I guess he does say we need to expand Chicago and L.A. Yeah, that's how you do it. Franchising. <laughs> <laughs> And the last thing I wanted to bring up was when he's in the, the immigration uh, office at the beginning of the movie, he's being asked, like, well, where did you learn English? He said, well, my dad was American, and he always would show me these American movies. And really, a lot of people around the world learn English through American movies. And television. And TV, yeah. Sure. We were just talking this morning saying that, you know what, the U.S., the, our biggest export to the rest of the world is entertainment. Celebrity and entertainment, yeah. yeah. Movies, media, you you can be completely famous and have no talent whatsoever. Well, that too. <laughs> that, that, that's a separate conversation. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's all I had. What did you have? So, uh, did you notice that throughout at least the first and second part of the movies, they kept showing people's offices and homes? And, like, in the immigration office, they had a picture of Jimmy Carter on the wall. Yep, because it was still early 1980, before the election. Yep, when you go to his mother's house, she has a, a picture of the Virgin Mary. Of course. And then when you go into Robert Loja's office, he has pictures of, like, Bobby Kennedy. Bob I saw the Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy, John Kennedy, yep. Nixon, and then I think uh, LBJ was there, too. Okay. I don't know what, what that's we, about. What do we think about that? This, like, hardworking drug dealer in Florida has presidents and presidential nominees in his I, office. I take this as a slight, maybe a wink and a nod to the audience that maybe this businessman, because if you didn't notice, Frank Lopez is a car he's an owner of a car dealership in Miami. When he's in his office, there's a car like a front of a car there. His front to the entire thing is this car dealership. No, I guess I didn't really see that yeah, his name there's is Frank one, Lopez. There's one establishing shot of Lopez Motors of them going into the office. He's a car dealer. So my understanding here is that maybe Frank has actually had meetings with politicians over the years, and maybe he's tried to, like, peddle influence, and maybe these are the guys that he's actually met before. I mean, they do make mention at one point, not with Frank, but some of these other guys, they're like, oh, we have connections in D.C., yeah. in Washington. Yeah, so maybe he's, like, showing off, like, I got these guys under my thumb. Or, in the case of 
two of them, maybe I was involved in offing them in some capacity. I don't know. He seems like an older guy that might have been involved in such things. Also, I just now have so many more questions. And... Oliver Stone has opinions about JFK. Right. But I have so many more questions about Robert Loja's character because I didn't until this moment realize his last name was Lopez. Yes. But he's wearing like a Jewish iconography kind of necklace, I think. I didn't notice that. He's talking about being Jewish throughout this movie. I didn't get any of that. I swear to God that's okay. what is going I on I believe there. you. But it's this white Italian man from New York playing a Jewish guy who's also Hispanic? Sure. I think is what I'm supposed to... Did I get all that right? I could be misinterpreting that, but that's what I thought was happening because he's wearing a very... Like, it, it's a strange necklace, and it looked like something that was religious of origin. Okay. That's I, all. I, I didn't see that. And he but... says something about Ju- Judaism. All right. So, yeah, it just makes me ask a lot of questions about <laughs> what an interesting character ca- is. He is an interesting character, for sure. Anyway, that's really all I have. I think, and I think I've said my piece about this movie. It's, it's very, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> Like, I don't know if, like I said, if I liked it or if I was just entertained by it. I didn't dislike it, certainly. Yeah. It's just a lot. It takes, it takes a lot out of you to watch it. And do you, and I don't really have any kind of affinity for the movie, but do you see why it is maybe a, an iconic movie? Oh, definitely. Uh, 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 At least apart from a lot of the other cinema from the time, like how like guys have latched onto this where he's he's talking about his fucking balls the entire movie yeah this is definitely a bro movie yeah the only the only uh, whatever that can give me orders are my balls <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or there's something like, two like or three that scenes in a row where he refers to his balls uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I get why it appeals to a certain demographic. Yeah. And also why I am not that demographic, so I would be very mixed about my feelings about this. Sure. I definitely didn't dislike it. I was enamored the entire movie. Will I ever watch it again? Hard to say. I mean, it's taken me like almost 20 years to to rewatch this movie again. And it is a big time commitment at the very least. Like, I don't see a lot of people like just sitting down to watch Scarface. I think if people go and watch Scarface, they're going to just watch the scenes. Like, they're not going to watch the rags to riches story. I don't need the plot. Just give me the nonsense. Just give me (laughs) the ending scene of him in his house. That's it. Anyway, that's going to be it for this one. Uh, We're going to read an email before we get out of here, as per usual. Uh, This one is going to come in from Mitch from Saskatoon. He writes with the subject line, Happy 200th. He's referring to episodes, not movies. He says, congratulations on both 200 episodes and 200 movies. We hadn't done that at the time. What are you talking about? Uh, It is so exciting to see the podcast moving along so strongly. I have only missed a few of your episodes since I started so late. I began around That Thing You Do. That's pretty early. That's still pretty early. It was after the first first year of Oscar movies. Uh, Your recent choices have been great. I started off 2022 having already seen about four of the first six, so that was nice. Casablanca is a classic. The Addams Family is so awesome. (laughs) Parentheses, Horny Gomez. (laughs) Uh, The Simpsons movie is the only movie that I personally had ever considered camping outside of a theater for. Interesting. That's commitment. 
Have you ever done a, like a midnight showing of a movie? Oh, that's a good question. You've seen yes. movies on day one. Yes, I saw. I don't know if it was midnight or like ten o'clock. It was definitely late. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, because that was one where you saw it twice in one day, right? No, I saw it twice in the theater or three times in the theater, I think. But no, I didn't watch it twice in one day. Okay, okay. I've never seen a movie in the theater twice in the same day. <laughs> You've wanted to though. I've been very tempted. Like there are movies yeah. where I would like to turn around and just go watch it again. <laughs> Uh, and he asked the question, have you ever done that or considered that? I would have dressed up, but I would have had donuts. <laughs> uh, he finishes, way to go, guys, to 100 more. Can't wait to hear about the next Kevin Smith movie. From Mitch from Saskatoon. Thank so, you, Mitch. Thank you, Mitch. We already tried to mention the the last movie that I wanted to just go right back into the theater and watch again. We've actually covered. Uh, it was the last Spider-Man movie. Oh, definitely. And yeah. yet we haven't watched it since then. What's wrong we're, with us? We're busy. We're busy. We got too many new things to watch. Yeah, we have so many other movies to watch. When we do two episodes a week, it's hard to fit in anything else that is a full-length movie. Especially when most of the movies we've been covering are three hours long. <laughs> Lately, yes. It's a lot harder to get to, to, to get things in there. Uh, and when like, like I watch football and it that takes up a lot of Sundays Thank and Mondays goodness we're done with and that Thursdays. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the time this comes out, the Super Bowl will, will have come and gone. So congratulations to whoever won that game. Super Bowl champions. The beep. Yep. What Betsy said. We'll just insert that over the top. Like the Simpsons did. <laughs> Uh, there's a, there's a joke. Uh, there's a Super Bowl episode with the Simpsons where Mo is like, or like Mo and Homer are talking, uh, at the bar and they put a beer in front of their mouth so that they don't have to animate the mouth. And they just recorded a line with like all 32 teams or something. And he puts the mug up to his lips and he goes, the Atlanta Falcons. It was probably an episode that aired after the Super Bowl. Yeah. And they just stuck the winning team in there the well, night after I, they I won. Think, I think they actually put both of them in there. I think yeah. it was the Falcons and the Broncos, and the Broncos ended up winning. Or something Something that like that. And yeah, they, they aired it either around the same time or right after or the same day. Who knows? It was probably immediately after because remember when yeah. we were growing up and what a big deal it was uh -huh. for this particular show to air right after the Super Bowl? It's still a big deal, but usually those shows don't last these days. Not anymore. <laughs> well, fucking Family Guy started Family Guy started on Super Bowl Sunday. I the no first idea. episode of Family Guy was on a Super Bowl. I did not know that. Yeah. I think it was 99. That was a while ago. That was a long time ago. Anyway, that's the end of this one, Betsy. If you would like to email us like all of our other fans, the email address is neverseenitpod at gmail.com. Neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We're on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look at the episode description to find those links, along with a link to support our show. You can throw us a dollar on Anchor, and that'll repeat every month in perpetuity until the end of time. Whenever that is. Could be next month. I don't know. <laughs> all right. So, Betsy, I want to thank you for being my co-host for all 200 of these movies. What? All of them. All of them. Yes. There's none that you would say, Betsy, I wish you hadn't been there. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> all right. We're going to end this. Thank you again for listening to Never Seen It for all of our episodes in the past and the future. My name is Trent. My name is Betsy. We'll catch you next time.
Bye.